NPR Mageddon is brought to you in part by Partial Foods Market, the leading edge in food recycling. Interested in a half-eaten apple? How about an orange and grapefruit peel? Partial Foods has it covered, for the most part. Partial Foods, finally, garbage you can eat. You're listening to NPR Mageddon, National Post-Apocalyptic Radio. Unless you have synesthesia, then you're tasting it. From NPR Mageddon in Los Angeles, I am Brian Garcia McMillan Keithley. The ear mouse, that fuzzy, cuddly mouse with a human ear growing out of its back, appeared like a living nightmare, but has since crawled straight into our hearts. But amid the euphoria, there are growing concerns about the ear mouse's place in our society. Directly addressing these concerns, President Skogor had this to say. My fellow Los Angelinos, today is a great day. By executive order, I have chosen the ear mouse to be the official national bird. Now, some of you may object. How can a rodent be a national bird? Well, I'm the president, and it's a bird if I say it's a bird. It's not a rodent. They're gross as hell. That's number one. Number two, since the ear mouse is the national bird, it will be illegal to kill it. You are not allowed to tamper with the ear mouse in any way. It's for your safety. Those damn things bite. Thank you for your attention. And there you have it. A strong speech from a strong leader. Needless to say, we here at NPR Mageddon congratulate President Skogor on picking such a proud and noble national bird that is in no way being used to spy on us. And even if it was, you've got nothing to hide, right? And on that note, joining us in studio today is the folk duo of Landon and Via to bring us a few notes of their own. Welcome. Oh, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Thanks. Now, as I understand it, you two were commissioned by President Skolgor himself to write a song about the ear mouse. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes, it is. When the president gave us a call to ask us if we wanted to write and perform a song for him, <laughs> we couldn't say no. Oh, we really couldn't. He would have cut off our fingers. All our fingers. So, you know, we were happy to do it. Oh, I love my fingers. <laughs> Me too. Mm. So, uh, you know, so hopefully this song will let all the people out there know, you know, uh, what they need to know. And knowing is half the battle. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get to it, shall we? Here's Landon and Via performing their new song, Don't Tamper with the Ear Mouse. The ear mouse is good, the ear mouse is grand The ear mouse always listens, so don't get out of hand Don't tamper with your ear mouse, cause that's against the law And we'll cut off your head with a chainsaw Don't be a troublemaker and watch what you say The ear mouse always listens, it's in its DNA Screwing with your ear mouse Well that's against the law And we'll cut off your head with a chainsaw We'll cut off your head Yes, we'll cut off your head Yes, we'll cut off your head with a chainsaw. Don't mess with the ear mouse. Well, I think we can all agree that the government wants me to say, that was great. In this rising surge of patriotism, there are always dissenting voices out there ready to ruin it for the rest of us. 
Political activist Hart Fisher is one of these negative Nancys, and he's joining us via phone from an undisclosed location to discuss his feelings on the ear mouse. Welcome. You know, Brian, you're just such an asshole. That didn't really sound like much of a welcome to your show to me. But, you know, it's not surprising coming from a government shill like you. So, what do you have against the proud and noble ear mouse? The proud and noble ear mouse is just a genetically engineered government spy, you fucking retard. Why else would it be against the law to kill them? Uh, it's not against the law to kill anything in this goddamn country anymore, but you can't kill the weirdo mouse with an ear in its back? Well, the ear mouse is our national bird. He wants the bird. Our president wants a national bird. I'll give that cocksucker a bird. By that, I mean my middle finger upraised high and stinking from where I just jammed it into him. And by that, I mean fuck you, president asshole. How's that for a bird? The people are fed up with you, president ballless wonder, and your fascist propaganda, and they need to rise up and do something about your bullshit. I'm not sure you... Yeah, of course you're but, not uh, sure we're well, on the right track here. Because I'm talking truth here, baby. First it was his anti-literacy campaign, and now it's spying. So what he needs to understand is that he works for us. He works for we, the people. And what the people need to understand is goddamn anything, because they don't understand a goddamn thing anymore. Are you implying, sir, that our president doesn't have our best interests in mind? I'm straight up telling you, this guy guy doesn't care about anybody but himself and his castrato wonders in the Congress, and I'm not going to rest until I see this ballless bastard replaced. Easy there, we've gotten a little off track. What I wanted to discuss with you is the ear mouse, not the president. You want to talk about the fucking ear mouse? Of course you want to talk about something safe like that, something easy, but you know what? Uh, let's have some truth here. We're going we're gonna to give you two words, two words about the ear mouse. Germ fucking warfare. Germ warfare? Let me spell this out so your simpleton listeners can understand. Anybody with a cold should blow their nose into a rag and then jam that snotty rag into the ear mouse's ear canal. And make sure you get all that snot in there nice and deep. Because this will immediately disable the ear mouse's ability to listen. All while triggering a nice, juicy infection. That sounds risky. Oh no! It sounds risky! Well guess what? It's snot. We've tried this on about a dozen of these buggers, and it's completely undetectable. Oh, did I say undetectable? Did I just say that? This is a test. NPRmageddon is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. NPRmageddon serves the United States of Los Angeles. This concludes the emergency broadcast system test. If this had been an actual emergency, you would either be dead or getting yelled at. Either way, it would have been a bad time. Earlier in this program, we allowed radical political terrorist Hart Fisher to recount a series of lies about our beloved president while he promoted his agenda of animal cruelty. We here at NPR Mageddon hold ourselves to the highest level of journalistic integrity, and we would never condone hate speech. We are only human, mostly, and sometimes we make mistakes. And I'd say it's in the very making of those mistakes that we prove ourselves to be the most, mostly human. We're really sorry. And now a special message from the Blood Pope. 
I finally found the truth. Religion has preached violence, hatred, power, and violence. None of that is the key to happiness. Love is the key. Harmony, friendship, charity, doing right by others. I'm taking us in a brave new direction, and it starts with my next sermon titled, What the Blood God Got Wrong. I'm writing it now, and I'm not going to leave my room until I have it just right. I told the good news to the blood cardinals, and call me crazy, but they seem very interested. Let this be the dawn of a new era of peace. Get the battery ram! Breaking news out of Franklin Village. The famous slime pit in the center of town, a slime pit which has been spreading an alarming rate for some time, has come to life and is attacking people. We join our sister station and reporter Sarah Silversmith for more. Sarah, can you give us a sense of what's happening on the ground? Yes, Brian, I have numerous new developments to report, but the most important thing to remember, and this is crucial information, that is the I apologize, listeners, we have lost contact. That was Sarah Silversmith quite possibly getting ripped in half. This does not bode well for Franklin Village, known for its colorful, if not morally questionable, residents. Actually, now wait, I'm now getting word that Sarah's co-anchor, Rob Davis, is on the line. Rob, what's going on? If only you could see. See what? Ryan, this is... This is what? What I'm looking at exactly here is... Is? Is something astonishing, something quite amazing... Rob! Again, I feel the need to apologize, listeners. We have also lost Rob. At this point, we have to regard the reports of a slime creature with some seriousness. Again, if you're just joining us, Franklin Village, known for its rich yet dubious selection of late-night entertainments, which are grossly overpriced for what you get, is being attacked by its own slime pit. The irony of the self-named Den of Sin, if it is irony, to be swallowed up by its own slime is not lost on this host or on the listeners of this station. Frankly, it disgusts me. We'd like to take a moment to remind our listeners that the NPR-mageddon radio tower is not a toy. It's also not target practice, nor is it a random non-functioning ruin you can have fun trying to topple with your idiot friends and gangbangers. It's a working radio tower bringing vital news and information to listeners across Los Angeles. We've shot trespassers and have exercised extreme prejudice while doing so. We will do so again. Thank you. Citrus farmers are kicking off their annual Festival of Blood Oranges to observe the start of a new blood orange growing season. It is a celebration of food, fun, and family. We go live to Jackson Lansing at the festival. Jackson, what draws such enthusiastic crowds to this yearly celebration? Well, Brian, one of the many highlights of the Festival of Blood, Oranges, is the opening ceremony. It gives superstitious orange farmers a grand stage on which they appease the blood god through human sacrifice. Those horns signify that the ceremony is about to commence. They have handed out rocks to all the spectators, and they gave me a really good one. It's very jagged, and that's how they like them down here at the Festival of Blood Oranges. And what can you tell me about this year's tribute? Her name is Emily Bittman, and she's a really sweet girl. 
A virgin, of course. I wouldn't have it any other way. Neither would the blood god, Brian. <laughs> Amen. Hold on, they're dragging her to the killing post now. I'm gonna see if I can get some last words from her before it's too late. Emily, hi! Jackson Lansing from NPR Mageddon. Citrus fans everywhere are so grateful for your sacrifice. Is there anything you'd like to tell them? Please, please don't do this. There, there is no blood god. This, this whole thing is barbaric! You just let me go! Just... And there she goes. They're tying her to the killing post. She sure is spirited, I'll give her that. The master of ceremonies, old man Stimson, has taken the stump. Let's listen in. I'm not acting in my capacity as master of ceremonies to prevaricate, to titillate, or to prattle on. We are all gathered for one reason. To throw rocks as hard as we can at this woman. I am not a religious man, but who am I to stand in the way of a proud tradition? So let your rocks fly, boys and girls, on three, and a one, and a two, and a three. I'll tell you what, Brian. That display of barbarism doesn't help our orange crop grow. I don't know what will. If only there was some other way. Yeah, but what you gonna do? It's like the old saying goes, Citrus is a harsh mistress. Well, have fun out there, Jackson. And don't forget to bring me back some blood oranges. You got it. Shop proudly presents Different Can Be Cool Too. Kids poems celebrating genetic nonconformity. Featuring Vivian Twelvefingers. Tentacles are for hugging, and for tickling, and for tugging. You haven't had a proper crawl till you have eight of these in all. Kitchen time is quite a breeze with all ingredients in reach. And how about a game of soccer? The keeper would be such a blocker. The kids at school all think it's grand when I arrive with suction hands. The talent show was made for me. I juggled 20 meshetties. And when it's time to clean my room, my tentacles are quick as brooms. I've given each of them a name. There's Jack and John and Jay and James and Jan and Jean and Jill and Jane. My limbs are in the Hall of Fame. Don't let jerks make fun of you if you have slimy feelers, too. They may mock you for your arms, but they're just jealous of your charms. That was... What Can You Do With Tentacles by Vivian Twelvefingers, read by the author, commissioned by CHOP, citizens helping our mutant people. Civil rights ain't just for humans, and neither are hate crimes, so watch yourselves, normies. <laughs> History, like time, is a wheel with many spokes, a sort of river that winds its way through the course of human civilization. In this segment of Brand New History, Historian Andrew Bowser has created nothing short of a paddle boat, cruising through that river with a wheel of time. How did Los Angeles slide into the apocalypse? The answers are in a technology called Blu-ray, which this program recently unearthed. It started in 1996, when a sinister alien spaceship attacked Los Angeles on Independence Day. We will not go quietly into the night, said President Whitmore with great gusto, and we attacked. Ultimately, the battle was won via a computer virus created by a brilliant scientist who later mutated into the hideous Brundlefly. 
The alien was undeterred. He returned, killed the Brundlefly, and then assumed his true form, the Jeff Goldblum. He began impregnating human women to spread his hideous seed, declaring with a sneer, Earth girls are easy. In an even more sinister move, the Jeff Goldblum then created a race of dinosaurs to murder children, then earthquakes, and tornadoes. No doubt caused by the Jeff Goldblum, who then created sinister games to test humanity, as was his want. It all went to hell. Ben Richards, deemed the running man, was forced into one of these life-or-death competitions. He died, probably, and then a mercenary called Snake Plissken did the same thing, that also probably died. Eventually, only the great Buckaroo Banzai could defeat the Jeff Goldblum, turning him into a harmless cowboy neurosurgeon. Then, in 2029, humanity got sick and tired of these hideous replicants, and they resurrected Ben Richards, the running man, to go back in time to kill the future leader of the Tyrell Corporation, this time as a metal man, the Terminator. Yaha! But the Umbrella Corporation, wanting to be the only corporation, used this opportunity to infect Los Angeles with a sinister and hideous virus that ate flesh, and only the metal man, the Terminator, could survive. Humanity had only one hope. Hancock, a vigilante superhero who had helped them during Independence Day, but he was just too damn lazy to do anything, and it all went to hell in a handbasket again. That's basically how we came to now. I feel like we're missing a little connective tissue there, historically speaking. History is a harsh mistress, Brian. She is a harsh, harsh mistress. Indeed. NPR Armageddon is brought to you by the Los Angeles Armed Forces. The Los Angeles Armed Forces would like you to know that thanks to the new Meat Shield Initiative, they are now accepting mutants into their ranks. Remember, ask not what your country can do for you, because we pay you to soak up bullets, not Ask questions. The few, the proud, the dead. Los Angeles Armed Forces. The time has come for the fourth annual food drive, and the first food drive under President Skogor. The president and his team have a bold new approach to the desperately needed charity event. Peter Podgurski has more. Food is for the weak! 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 That was the rallying cry during this year's food drive. But why undermine the stated goal of your own event? Presidential spokesman Leb Shipman had this to say. Listen, bottom line, rations are at an all-time low, and people aren't getting enough to eat. But are we going to mock these people? Tear them down? Ironically throw food at them? No, we would be barbarians. That's why we're flipping the script. By associating food with weakness and hunger with strength. Listen, bottom line, you call it hunger, we call it hungrate. Food is stupid, it's for the stupids. Only idiots want food. Also, terrorists want food. Terrorists who are a danger to law-abiding hungrate people. The president says, embrace your hungratness. It's not a badge of shame. And how do you respond to detractors who say that you're just doing word gymnastics, playing political patty cake because the administration simply can't, or won't, address the problem of starvation? Listen, bottom line, you call it starvation, we call it starvation. 
Everyone's a star when you're achieving home greatness! You're just gonna have a twist on any phrase I use for this problem, aren't you? Try me. Okay, uh, by encouraging starvation, you're essentially causing a genocide. Genocide? We prefer to think of it as general pride. People coming together for a common good. What a show of unity! It brings a tear to my eye. The administration just can't find any food, right? Food is for the weak. The president's message seems to have penetrated the minds of the masses here at the food drive. Food never does anything for nobody! It makes you more hungry is what it does! Who perhaps are not thinking clearly from lack of food. Food causes more hatred and more murders than any other things put together. They came here for a meal. They're leaving with a lesson. I could just punch food. Punch it in his fat, stupid mouth. And, and, and bite it. Bite, bite it, not, not to eat it, just to make it angry. Just to make it hurt. Like I hurt. Is the administration truly spreading disinformation? We talked to farmer and agriculture expert Milroy Jenkins. Milroy, do you believe food is evil and for the weak? Well, Peter, you know, we don't really know what food does. Really. Who's to say? It could be bad. We don't know. I hate food myself. Milroy, has the administration intimidated you in any way? Of course way? not! Food! No one needs to grow it! And people who do, they should be locked up! People don't need food. They only need hung greatness. Milroy, do you fear for your life? I don't fear. Fear is for the weak. Food! Food is for the weak! Fear is for the weak, and food is for the weak. Oh, God help me. Milroy Jenkins then proceeded to throw himself out of the window during our interview. Ah! But, because we were on the first floor, he only received minor bruises. The bruises to his mind, however, and to the minds of all those the food drive has affected, those bruises may never heal. Ever. Never ever. Not in a million years. Peter Podgurski, NPR Mageddon. And I am obligated to tell our listeners that the food drive is currently not accepting donations through Thursday. Are you not getting enough to eat? Well, you're not alone, but you're not a pussy either, right? Do right by the government and embrace your hun greatness. Remember, food is for the weak. Thank you. Government officials have declared political terrorist Hart Fisher as an enemy of the state. He has been charged with first-degree treason for his remarks against our national bird, the ear mouse. We are joined on the line with Officer X, Chief of the Secret Police, for more on how we're going to get this guy. Are you there, Officer X? No comment! What? I'm sorry, that's classified information! Classified information? I just asked if you were there. I'm not going to answer that question! Okay, pretend I asked you a question you can answer. Mr. Hart Fisher was identified as a person of interest, and after a fair and impartial investigation, the administration is issuing a death warrant. And we wanted your listeners to get in on the fun. Ooh, I do like fun. Go on. Yay! The prize man! We are offering an array of exciting prizes for anybody that can give us information leading to the arrest of Hart Fisher. Ooh! And a super-duper grand prize for anybody that can produce his corpse. What kind of prizes? Eligible contestants will be informed of their prize after evidence is submitted and verified. Void where prohibited. So, you won't tell us what the prizes are? No comment! Gotcha. 
a mystery prize. I love surprises. Are you questioning how the government is handling this manhunt? No, no, of course not. I was just curious. I, I take it back. I'm sorry. Your apology will be noted in your file. I have a file? Was that a question? We're gonna have to leave it there. Thank you, Officer X. I hadn't heard of you before today, but let me tell you, you are the best-kept secret in the secret police. Yeah. You're listening to NPR Mageddon, National Post-Apocalyptic Radio. We're not the best there ever was, but what are you, royalty? Congress is debating a controversial bill outlawing the use of severed dog heads in sports. The legislation was first championed by community organizer Bingo, who also happens to be a hyper-intelligent mutant dog. Let me be clear. I've got nothing against sports. I myself played a mean game of fetch when I was a puppy. But using a dog's head as a ball? Man, that ain't right. That's morally reprehensible. They should use human heads instead. Protests have broken out against the possible ban fueled by sports fans who want the government out of their national pastime. From the Sports and Government Desk, we go to Lacey Harmon for more. What do we want? Severed dog heads! Why do we want this? Sports! What do we want? Severed dog heads! Why do we want this? Sports! It's all part of the backlash against what many think is a government overreach. Dog ball has traditionally been played by two teams trying to spike a severed dog's head on the opposing team's skull post. But does it have to be a severed dog's head? We asked dog ball most valuable player Highland Labrea for his thoughts. Uh, well, sometimes something like like a pop up in my head and, and the bazazazinga gets like these weirdest things. Like the other day, all of a sudden I had like this banana jumping up and down, up and down in my head. And this banana had two legs and it was had these little these little feet pitter-pattering around. And a little gorilla just chasing after him. And I couldn't figure out, but I, I did feel that I was wanting to eat a banana, but I'm allergic to bananas and gorillas. Just some weirdness, you know? That's fascinating. But how do you feel about removing severed dog heads from dog ball? But it's called dog ball. I know that. Okay, then. Don't bother the bazazazinga with the little things. But who does care? We asked Xenon Mokluk, the leader of CHOMP, Citizens Helping Our Mutant People, about CHOMP's stance on severed dog heads in sports. Let me get one thing straight here. Chomp loves dogs. To eat. <laughs> Seriously, dogs taste delicious, especially the smart ones. But Chomp, when it comes to mutant dog relations, is truly interested in reaching across the table. The dinner table. <laughs> so we can eat the dogs. <laughs> so it seems like pretty much nobody gives a damn. Which begs the question, why is this bill being debated in Congress? So we asked the man who sponsored the bill, Congressman Butch Blood. Well, I did not have much choice. Mutant dogs were holding my family hostage. Uh, is there, are you okay? Oh, it was touch and go there for a while. But then the dog started eating chocolate, and the whole thing just sort of fell apart on itself. The bill is deader than that pack of mutant dogs that held my family hostage. So the rumors that the ruling class are feasting on chocolate are true. Uh, no comment. I I'm a very busy man. Uh, excuse me. So, there you have it. Democracy at work. Lacey Harmon, NPR-mageddon. 
back again with another BetaTech First Alert traffic update. Here's John. If the traffic is smooth or if it's slow, here's the person who's sure to know do How's it looking out there? Well, it all depends on your perception. Here we go. There is no single perception of traffic, no fixed physical reality, just numerous ways of interpreting worldviews as dictated by one's nervous system and the specific traffic environment. It's that bad, huh? Well, it ain't good. Could you elaborate? According to the inherently flawed interpretation of my own limited nervous system, amid an overwhelming sea of stimuli, well, it ain't good. More breaking news concerning the slime monster who is wreaking havoc. We've managed to patch into our sister station's auxiliary line. We have the station manager on the phone. Mike, are you there? It's eating me alive from the inside. Oh, oh, it hurts. Oh, this hurts. Good, good. We actually have some concrete information. Mike, can you tell me what you're seeing? My intestines! Oh, that's fantastic, Mike. Now, tell me about your intestines. I have to put them back in. Oh, wow, that's compelling. Mike, why are your intestines outside of your body? Well, it all... (gasps) Mike? (gasps) Mike? (gasps) I think we lost Mike. Uh, We lost Mike. Our thoughts and prayers go out, etc. Oh, oh, good. Uh, My producer tells me we have the station janitor on the phone. Maybe he can fill us in. You're on with NPR Mageddon. Hello? Are we on? Yes, you're on. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I've been a janitor for over 30 years, and never in my life have I seen slurry behave in this manner. It's alive, I tell you. It rose from the slurry pit and it swept across the village like a broom. It sticks to you like gum and it dissolves your insides like bleach. It's a real mess. I've tried every cleaning product known to man. It's unstoppable. And so, in a mesmerizing handful of seconds, a janitor has given us better information than our entire news team. Though the janitor did refer to the slime pit as slurry, I believe he misspoke, we've heard scattered reports of sludge, not slurry. So really, there are many more questions than answers. And if I may, listeners, I don't think anyone can deny that this natural disaster amounts to karmic retribution for Franklin Village's moral decrepitude. Regardless... It appears that Franklin Village is no more, having been consumed in and by the very metaphoric slime from whence it rose. And in that sort of poetic beauty, that clever twist of fate, lies our sole consolation. Oh, we we have a young girl who apparently survived. Uh, Hello, young girl. Honey, you have to speak up. But it'll hear me. Uh, Honey, this is the radio. You really do have to project. But you need to send help! Ah! Well, as you just heard, 
The true tragedy here is that Franklin Village couldn't even save a defenseless little girl from poor phone etiquette. She just hung up, doesn't even say goodbye. Rude is what that is. Now, I'm not blaming her. I'm blaming Franklin Village specifically, of which she is a part. So I apologize for her rudeness. But again, we're dealing with Franklin Village. So what are you going to do? This is Brian Garcia McMillan Keithley reminding you that to live is to suffer, to survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. Stay safe, unlike Franklin Village. NPRmageddon is written and produced by Brian Keithley and Peter Podgurski. This episode has been mixed by Amy Reed. It's been swirled by Amy Reed, and it's been dusted with a bit of cinnamon sugar magic by Amy Reed. The theme for NPRmageddon is by Society Burning. Visit nprmageddon.etsy.com for all your NPRmageddon merch, swag, and officially licensed products. Email us at info at nprmageddon.com or hit up our hotline at 213-437-9506. Keep the conversation going on Twitter at nprmageddon. Here's the full cast of episode five. Cut off your head with a chainsaw. Jello Biafra, Amy Landon, Brian Keithley, Lejean, Zach Via, Hart D. Fisher, Hazon Day, Neil Brown, Asterios Coconos, Natalie Wachen, Jeffrey Peterson, Jackson Lansing, Harlan Ellison, Betsy Baker, Andrew Bowser, Peter Podgersky, James Malcolm, Caleb Lambert, Michael Ruzelay, Lacey Harmon, Christopher Bruce, John Delancey, and Christopher R. Ellis. Check out the loudest podcast hosted by our own Asterios Coconos, wherever you're getting this podcast or at theloudestpodcast.com. Thanks so much for all your support and messages. They've kept us warm on those cold wasteland nights. So until next time, thanks for listening. Next time on NP Armageddon. Beloved pontiff Juan Castro II, otherwise known as the Blood Pope, has returned to that bloodbath in the sky. He passed on at some point during the week, we think. It's kind of hard to tell. But yeah, he is totally dead. Hart Fisher is still at large and is daring to call President Skogor and his brave followers goons. That's right, folks, goons. These people are not heroes. They're not heroes of the Republic. So, yes, goons is the right words for these so-called patriots. And a pulsating brain is terrorizing the North Valley. Plus, filthy dark sorcery and traffic. Oh, come on. It's just a little dark sorcery. Don't tell me you can't handle that. Featuring the voice talents of John Delancey. Jello Biafra, Hart D. Fisher, Brian Sunalot, Betsy Baker, Laurel Vale, Hazon Day, and many others. All this and more in NPR Mageddon, Episode 6, Gone Stiff Pontiff.